Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. As you see, we're right in the middle of our series entitled Forgotten Voices. It's based on the minor prophets, Uh, the prophets you don't hear a whole lot about, know a whole lot about, but they had a powerful voice to their generation and our generation today. Now, we're in our week three. The first week, we probably looked at the most famous of all the minor prophets, Jonah. You heard of Jonah, the wind, the worm, and the whale, and so, and that's the story of Jonah in a nutshell, and how God took a reluctant prophet and showed him that the best way is to obey God from the outset. And so he took a roundabout way to fulfilling God's call and God's mission to go to the people of Nineveh. The Ninevites are wicked people. The Ninevites were a hated city. Jonah didn't want to go there because he said, I know if you go there, they're going to repent. And these are the bad guys. So God had to use the wind and then he used a whale. And then to further the work in Jonah's life, he uses a worm to eat the gourd that's over his head to get the message across that I love everybody. I love Nineveh. So we learned about obedience that week and talked quite a bit about that. Last week, we learned about the prophet and the prostitute, prophet by the name of Hosea. And he tells Hosea, I want you to go marry this lady. Uh, Although I got the the, the good news is you're going to get married. The bad news is she's been with uh, 300 other men. And so that's kind of, but you know, he goes and he marries Gomer. And then Gomer leaves him after they have three children. And God says, now go again and marry Gomer. I want to tell you, God's love will track you down, chase you down. And it was a powerful illustration of, of how much God loved Israel. And even though Israel was stepping out on God in many different ways, he says, I will always love Israel. I have a plan for Israel. And now I will go to them again. And aren't you glad he comes to us again and again and again? His love is absolutely incredibly amazing. And so we looked at that love story last week which is really a type of God's love story with us. Now we're gonna look at Habakkuk, or if you're from the South, Habakkuk. I don't know, you know, just make your own way of saying it. Habakkuk, I heard someone say that's the way it's supposed to be said. We don't know, but uh, it is in the Bible. And so turn to Habakkuk, and we're gonna stay right there. We're gonna stay in chapters, uh, it's only three chapters long. We're staying in this book, the whole message this morning, so stay right there, and you can follow along with us today. Now before we read our text, let me tell you a story. I had uh, uh, this summer in June, uh, uh, Jeannie's daughter, son-in-law came and four small grandchildren. And they were here and we were gonna spend a week up on the lake, up in Lake Marion, the upper lake, uh, right in Santee there. And so we're staying on the lake and uh, we, the only place we really know that has a nice beach is on the lower lake. And so we're gonna go through the Diversion Canal, take a little boat ride, couple hour boat ride, go through the Diversion Canal and we're gonna go to Panopolis or Somerset Point because they got diving boards and the kids can play on the beach. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And so we're there and we're playing and we're having a good time and the sky starts getting darker. 
And I got a call from one of my buddies who knew we were out, and he says, you know what? I'm just going to tell you a storm just came through Somerville that was totally nasty, and you better, wherever you're at, get up from there and take off. So we pack all the kids up, get back on the boat, we start the boat, we take off, and we're heading out, and the sky is getting darker and darker and darker. And we're flying, and I'm flying across the lower lake, Lake Moultrie, and I hit the diversion canal, and about halfway through the diversion canal, the heavens opened up. And I mean lightning, thunder, rain, BBs. If you're ever in a boat and you've got rain coming down really hard, it's like little BBs hitting your face. And all the kids are, are huddled down in their blankets and they're saying, we're going to die, we're going to die out here. And they're crying and their little dog's just a shivering right there. And, 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 the, and when we got out on the lake, we finally got the diversion canal and we got on the upper lake, Lake Marion. And that boat is going up and down. Water's coming on the boat. So every time we go down, we've taken on more water and they just thought, this was it. We've, we've lost it. And uh, grandpa's got us all out here and killed us. And so, so, and, and, and you can't see anything. And so for all you guys that are boaters, you know that it's red, right, return. And so red, the red markers are going to be on the right side and the green markers will be on your left side when you're coming in from the shore. So we're going inland. We're heading on up to the lake. And, uh, but when you come out of the diversion canal, there are two sets of markers. One goes around one side of the lake and one the other. I couldn't see the marker in front of us. I had no idea where I was going. It was so dark, so black, raining so hard. I'm trying to pick up these markers and go for one, and I got off on the wrong set of markers. So I got to cut across this lake right out in the middle of the open water, waves going up and down, storms coming, lightning all around, and I got to get across there. And the trouble with the upper lake, Lake Marion, it's really stumpy. You guys fishermen know how bad it is. It's just simply a flooded area. They made a man-made lake there to create the dam system. And so we're going across that, up and down, up and down, and we finally get to the other side. Fortunately, I didn't tear up a prop or the boat. And about the time we pull right into our little cove, the sun comes out. All shining, all nice. Now, I, I, I tell you that story to share what Habakkuk saw happening on the horizon. What I saw in the atmospheric conditions in the heavens, Habakkuk is seeing for the future of Judah. Habakkuk is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, and he sees the storm clouds coming in the form of the Babylonians. The Babylonians are bad guys. The Babylonians are ruthless. The Babylonians will come. They will set siege to Jerusalem. They will camp around that city. They will literally starve to death inside the city. Uh, Israel is, they're dying and they're going to take over and, and take many of their best and brightest into captivity. They're going to leave a remnant of people back in the area of Judah. And it's going to be a terrible thing that is about to come to Judah because Judah has been stepping out on God. They've been turning away from God and he sees the dark clouds coming and the horizon and it's going to happen. Now, this is the same thing that can happen in our lives. We're going along fine. We're smoothing across the waters on our boat. Everything's beautiful and nice and wonderful. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these clouds begin to come and problems come and they enter our life or invade our life. And we kind of say, God, where did that come from? You're cruising along and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do for you. And Johnny kind of kicks you in the gut. Or, or, or you, 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 your, your marriage. I've, had, I've talked to people where their husband left or their wife left and, and they made these vows and they made these commitments. He said, I don't understand. It was for the, supposed to be until death do us part and we're both alive and now they're going their way and I'm going my way and we've got all the kids here and it's a mess and we're dividing everything up and out of nowhere, it just kind of seems to hit. And, or, or your kids, you raise your kids to follow and serve the Lord 
and they get older and they start running with the wrong crowd and they're doing things you know they shouldn't be doing and they're making life choices that will affect the rest of their life and you feel so helpless. What can I do? I, I, what, what can we do? And, 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 and you just see them going downhill and making those choices. Or, or your company you've worked for for years and you've been a faithful employee and they've paid you well, but now they're downsizing and they've got to get rid of all the fat. And so you're part of the fat that's about to be cut out and you're lost your job and you get the pink slip and there's no more job for you and you say, how am I gonna pay my bills and how can I take care of my family? And, I've, and, and all these things kind of come rolling in and they can roll in like a storm. And what happens is like Habakkuk, we'll pray and we'll say, oh God, what's going on now? Now here's the trouble. And we're gonna read it in just a few moments. Habakkuk says, God, are you out there? Can you hear me now? And he was getting no answer, and then when he did get an answer, it wasn't the one he was counting on. So what happens when we pray, and we look for solutions, and we look for answers, and we don't seem to get the answer? One of two things we conclude. The first is we conclude, God hasn't heard my prayers. And so we really wonder if my prayers are doing any good because I keep praying about this situation, I keep praying about this problem, and it's not going away, and we think God is not hearing me at all. Or worse yet, if he does hear, he must not really care because if he really cared, he would do something about it, right? Now the solutions we arrive at or the conclusions we arrive at, and we're just left to fend for ourselves. And our faith can become a tangled mess and, and we believe in God, and yet we're wrecked by pain, and we don't understand what's happening all around me at that time. Now today, we're gonna look at Habakkuk's story of what it means to trust God when life doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, doesn't make sense, and yet we will still trust in God. Now, the name Habakkuk means to wrestle. And really what you see in this story is this wrestling match between doubt and belief. And these two things in our mind and our emotions begin to wrestle together and, and between doubt and belief and we go back and forth and back and forth and we struggle with that and that's exactly what is going on here. In fact, Habakkuk of the 12 minor prophets, he, his first two chapters open up a, like a dialogue just between him and God. So you see his prayers recorded, you see God's answers recorded, and you see this dialogue going on in these first two chapters, and finally, by the time you get to chapter three, he just kind of opens up with this great, uh, amazing praise, a song of praise that he lifts up to God. And so it's kind of an, an interesting book as you read it and as you study it, but this wrestling match is going on. So what do we do? What do we do when we are caught between belief and doubt? How do we resolve that? Let's stand together and let's look at Habakkuk chapter one. Habakkuk chapter one, and I'll start with verse number one today. I hope you had a chance to read this this week and look at it and prepare yourself for this morning. It says, verse one, the oracle of Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen. Now he's pretty blunt with God. Or cry to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. In other words, God, why are the bad guys winning? Let's pray. 
Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for this amazing prophecy that we can look at today and learn from our own experience how to, how to settle these dilemmas that we all face at times in our own life, how to handle the bad news we get, how to handle the darker times and the times when we're not always on top of the mountain, God. There's some great instruction for us here this morning. Open up our hearts to receive what you have for us. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. Now, let me give you the backdrop to this prophecy, because you need to understand what is going on in the socio-political realm at this time. First of all, you've got backslidden Judah. Assyria has already come in. They have taken uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, into captivity. Uh, they have resettled there, repopulated there because they were the first ones to turn to idolatry. They're the first nation to go into captivity. And so they, they come and, and we read about that. Uh, Habakkuk comes later. And so he is between that time, but he sees what's about to happen to Judah because Judah is following the same pattern of Israel. And so they've turned away from the living God. They begin to worship idols. They're not where they ought to be spiritually in their relationship with Jehovah God. And so he sees that dynamic going on. But then you have something else. You have a new superpower that is raised up called the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar is their king. You also have a power, but not as strong. The Egyptians are still a powerful force to be reckoned with. They are under the emperor Necho. And so Necho goes to war with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or Babylon goes to war with Egypt. And you have this war going on. Now, you guys that know anything about geography, what is right in the middle of Babylon and Egypt? Israel. It's right there, Judah's right there. They become the battleground. The, the battle's being fought, they're marching in and out of there and through there, so they're always faced with occupied forces, occupied troops, they're coming through Judah, and this battle is going on, and this is what, what is happening right now. This war is going on between those two countries. There's an African proverb, I think, that describes it well. It says, when two elephants wrestle, it is the grass which suffers. And Judah is the grass. You got these two elephants and they're doing battle on the battleground and Israel is suffering or Judah is suffering through all of this right now. They're suffering war and occupation. So, so we read it to you in Habakkuk. He says, how long shall I cry and you won't hear me? God, don't you see what's going on to Judah? Don't you see the violence? Don't you see the injustice? Don't you see the fears on behalf of these people? And it feels like in Habakkuk's mind, God's not doing anything. And so for him, it doesn't make sense. And so he says, what's the deal, God? What is going on? Are you awake? Do you hear? Don't you hear my cries? Why is justice being perverted? That's what I just read to you. And I think Habakkuk is encountering what every single believer has encountered at some point or another on our spiritual walk or our spiritual journey. We're walking along, we're cruising with God, everything's going good. And by the way, let me just say this. The Christian life is the most amazing life on the face of the earth. We get to know Jesus, we get to know our creator, we get to have life with him and a life that is more abundantly and it is awesome to be able to serve and know and love our God. And so we're walking on the mountain and everything's going great, but there are sometimes, Psalm 23 teaches us, that the shepherd will take us through the what? The valley of the shadows of death. 
And sometimes in his leading and his guiding, we go through these valleys and we don't understand what's happening. And so when we're on the mountains, everything's going great, but we're in the valley, it's dark and we can't see very far in front of us. And there's wolves all around and predators all around. And it's a, and it's a rocky, dangerous place. And sometimes God, our shepherd, will take us through those pathways. And it's in those valleys we struggle with our faith and we struggle with our belief and we try to sort it all out and figure out, God, what are you doing? And there are just times that we can't seem to make sense of it or we don't get the answer. So the question today is, how do we deal with this wrestling match of doubt and unbelief, or uh, uh, doubt and belief? First of all, number one, remember what God has done. Man, when you are going through a tough time now, if you will go back and begin to see what God has done, remember how God healed your kids when you prayed for them and you believed God to touch and heal them and that fever broke in the middle of the night. Remember those times. Remember those times when you didn't know where your next bill is gonna come from, where your next money is gonna come from and God provided miraculously everything you needed to pay your bills and stay in your place. Remember how God healed that relationship that you were going through and it was totally messed up. And, and, and remember how God saved you. Remember God, how God healed you. Remember how he used someone when you were down to come along and say the right word at just the right time and lift your spirits up. Remember all that God has done. And that will help you get through the valleys or the storm times. Turn to Habakkuk chapter three. And we see this at the end of his dialogue with God. And he breaks into this prayer. And he says in verse two, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. I remember your deeds. I know about your fame. I know how you led the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground. I remember how you fed them in the wilderness. I remember how you gave us this land and gave us this promised land. I have seen miracle after miracle. I remember your prophets. I remember what God has done. And he begins to count what God has done. Renew them in our day. God, if you did it then, you can do it today. Renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, think about it. And his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. And he breaks out into this amazing psalm of praise, but it starts out by remembering what God has done. If you're going through those tough, difficult, challenging times, I encourage you, think about what, there's an old song we used to sing. It was Count Your Blessings, name them one. Have you ever heard that song? You guys want me to sing that for you? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to. We have guests in the house, and so you that know me will understand how bad it is. But count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. And when you're going through a valley or a challenging time, it is good to remember what God hath done. God, I remember your deeds and begin to count your blessings. Remember the, God's promise to you. Remember God's power in the past. And they serve as a reminder that even in difficult times, I can still trust in God. It's good advice. Second thing is you need to accept what God is doing. And trust that God has a bigger plan. God has a bigger purpose that he can even bring out of difficulties. 
The trying of our faith work is patience, and patience brings hope, and hope doesn't make us ashamed. Uh, the, the writers uh, talk about that when we go through the test of the fire, we will come out as pure gold, refined even as by the fire. And so trials and tests have a way of God doing something inside of us. And so we've got to trust our great big God that he knows what he's doing, especially those things that seem so out of our control. Uh, prophet got an answer he wasn't expecting. I want you to look back at Habakkuk 1, and this is how God answers him, his first complaint. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am doing something in your day. I know what I'm doing. I got this. That you would not believe even if you were told. Now he's doing, he tells Habakkuk, I am doing something unbelievable, but not unbelievably good. We think, oh, that's great. He's going to get a good answer here. No, he says, Here's the answer. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like vultures, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings, scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. I want to tell you, this is not what Habakkuk was looking for. I'm bringing Babylonians in. These are the meanest soldiers on the face of the earth. They're fast, they're cruel, they're brutal. Your fortified cities will all fall down. Nothing can stand against them. And these, this is the answer I'm giving you. It's the Babylonians. And the back he says, wait a minute. They're worse than we are. And we, we may be bad, but we're not idol worshipers. We're not Babylonians. We are, we are not that bad. And so when God gives him this answer, it creates an even bigger problem for Habakkuk. He says, I don't get it. We're not as bad as they are. And so here's his response. Look at verse 12. Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting, my, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh rock, you have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the, those more righteous than themselves? In other words, we may be bad, but we're not as bad as the Babylonians. Right? And he says, why are you doing this? Why are you perverting justice? This is not a, what a just and holy God would do. Why would you send people who build their own gods, uh, who worship them, who bow down to them, to come and subdue a people who at least are still hanging on to Jehovah God or the one true God? Why are you doing that? It just doesn't make sense. We're bad, but we're not as bad as them. It would be like, let's say Iran or Iraq comes over to the United States. And we know the U.S. is not where it should be spiritually. We have we have 
Uh, many, many people have left their foundations of the one true God and in God we trust and it's been a push to get them out of the schools and out of society and out of the media and out of government and out of every place imaginable. But there still are millions of people in the U.S. who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart and they're sitting in churches today and they're worshiping God. And then God says, you know what? I'm gonna deal with the sins of America and so I'm sending Iran or Iraq or the North Koreans or whoever our enemy is at that time and they park their tents and their, their uh, tanks in Washington, D.C., and they, and they park them in the major cities of the world, and they come in, and they take us into captivity. And we'd be saying, what? Wait a minute, God. I know America's in trouble, but we're not as bad as the Muslims. We're not as bad as the Hindus. We're not as bad as the Buddhists. And so somehow we think that, that we don't deserve what we are about to experience in our own lives. We're not as bad as them. That is the tension he is wrestling with. And so Habakkuk is wrestling with doubt and belief, and this wrestling match is going on. But God is working out a bigger picture. He will use the Babylonians to bring correction to the nation of Israel. He will have a remnant. The Babylonians will take them into captivity. Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego will rise up, and they will speak to the Babylonian government. He will raise up Cyrus, who will allow them to come back and rebuild their homeland. And God basically is saying, I've got this. I've got a plan for Judah. That's good news for us. How many remember 9-11? If you're some, you know exactly where you were. You probably knew what you were doing that morning. You know exactly what happened. We, we had our, our bags packed and we're ready to go on a mission trip to Romania. And the plane was flying out that day. And I got a phone call and says, I don't think you're going anywhere. Somebody called and said, you better check the television. Uh, I think all flights are being canceled. We begin to turn, we turn the TV off and we sat in horror as we watched these planes flying into the World Trade Centers and, and we saw it coming down and they replayed that again and again and again. And every time we saw it, our heart broke in two. And then we saw planes falling out of the sky in, in Pennsylvania and one hits the Pentagon and we see all this going on and we wonder what is going on. And, and right away, it set off a tension in America that says, why is this happening in America? We're supposed to be a Christian nation. Why is this taking place? Why is this happening to us? And 3,000 people are killed in one day in just a matter of a few hours. And we felt, we felt violated. And we felt like, what is happening to our land? And, and there was a lot of struggles going on about why did God allow this between faith and unbelief or doubt? Now, the pragmatic answer is it happened because evil men land, flew those planes into the tower. God didn't do that. I think sometimes we make God our fall guy for everything. It was just evil men who captured those planes and killed a whole lot of people. And it was Osama bin Laden, and you know the story behind that. And so that's exactly why it happened. But even out of that, even out of the ashes, even out of the rubble, God can come along and take the very worst the enemy creates and somehow bring good out of it. And I'll never forget that following Sunday, this church was packed. There wasn't a seat in the balcony. There wasn't a seat on the floor. Hundreds came and they gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not just an anomaly right here. Every church in America was filled to the brims more than Easter, more than Christmas, more than any other day of the year. Our churches were filled all across this country. And I would venture to say millions gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ out of what happened at 9-11. 
the devil is always shooting himself in the foot. He's like Barney Fife. He's trying to get his gun out to attack the church, and the gun goes off, and he hits his own foot because he brings a trial, a test, something comes our way, opposition. But even out of that, God gets glory because he is always working out a bigger plan. In our own individual life, when I go through trials, God is wanting to do something inside of me. Cooperatively as a church, he would send persecution to the early church in the book of Acts. And the more times they kill believers, the more believers would rise up and give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God can take whatever, our ashes, and bring beauty out of that. Things may be happening in your life now you don't understand. They don't make sense. But he can bring us to a place that if we'll trust God, even in the midst of that, we'll begin to see God do something unbelievable, even unbelievably good. There's a story, I think, in the New Testament that typifies this Habakkuk, this wrestling match. Habakkuk means to wrestle, to to more than maybe any other story, and it's found in Mark chapter nine. And it's the story about a man who has a son, and the son is demon-possessed. And there must have been some suicidal demons in there because the guy's trying to kill himself. He would throw himself in the fire, try to drown. He had, he had uh, seizures were going on in his body. And this guy has to watch him morning, noon, and night because he doesn't know when he's gonna lose his son. And he hears about Jesus. He's about this man from Galilee that's doing miracles, that's healing the sick, casting out demons. And so he brings his son, and and Jesus is coming down from a mountain. He'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter, James, and John are with him, but there were nine disciples left down below. And so he finds the disciples, and he says, can you cast these demons out of my boy? He's tormented day and night. And in verse 18, it says, but they could not. Jesus arrives on the scene and uh, he makes a statement. He says to this man, and he says, if you believe everything is possible, isn't that an incredible statement? If you believe everything's impossible, there's nothing that God cannot do, right? But you see the wrestling in the father because he makes this statement. He says, I do believe, help thou my unbelief. In other words, there's this, this tension, this battle going on. I, I believe, I believe you can do it, but, but God, I, I struggle with my feelings and my emotions and my mind. Can this really, really happen? Help thou my unbelief. And the amazing thing, it was his belief that caused him to bring the boy to Jesus in the first place. But even out of his unbelief, God took that. And by the time Jesus gets there, the Bible in Mark 9 describes this, the crowd is growing. And Jesus cast the demons out of that boy. And the Bible says they were amazed and all glorified God when they saw the miracle he did. So even out of his honesty, out of his struggling, out of his wrestling, God did something absolutely incredibly amazing and everybody sees it I want to do something bigger Habakkuk is wrestling he can't understand how you're going to use Babylonians and you get to chapter two and I want you to look at verse number one he's finally had it and he's going to just just do something he says I'm, I'm not leaving until I hear from you I want it and I want an answer so he says in chapter two verse one I will stand at my watch I will station myself on the ramparts or on the towers. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to his complaint. Now, I'm going to wait. I'm not letting go. I'm hanging on. 
I'm not giving up. And God does something. He begins to give Habakkuk a fuller answer. And so in the rest of the chapter two, he talks about what's gonna happen. And he says, first of all, know that destruction is coming. It's not gonna stop. The Babylonians are coming. Get prepared. But he says something else in chapter two and verse number four. He says, the righteous person will live by faith. In other words, God is saying, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of captivity, even in the midst of everything else, God will have a holy, righteous remnant. And they're going to live by faith. And it's their faith that's going to get them through this captivity they're about to experience. And then he says the third time, third thing, and we find it in 2 and verse 14. And there's going to come a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In other words, God says, I win. All the glory is going to me. I'll use whatever I need to use. But ultimately, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the entire earth. And I'm not sure even Habakkuk understood what these words totally implied because later, Jesus Christ, or Paul will quote, the righteous will live by faith. And we see the picture in the millennial reign of Christ. Not only that, but in Jesus' day on the earth when he pours out his spirit on all flesh, when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will begin to cover the earth. So he gives him that answer. So, so what do we do when we're going through it? Remember what God has done. Trust in what God is doing. But number three, trust in the, what the Lord will do in our future, with our future. Turn to Habakkuk chapter three and verse number 17. And he sees that, you know, when the Babylonians come and they set siege to Jerusalem, it's going to be a long siege, a couple of years, and uh, they're going to have, not going to have any food, not have any source of food, no animals, nothing going on. They're going to starve to death. But look at what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vine. Though the olive crops fail and the, field, the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will Rejoice in the Lord. You can do better. Let's say it together. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Wow, what a... What a praise to God. Even though the cupboards are bare, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. Even though my relationships are getting messed up, I, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even though the storm clouds are gathering and we're out on the water and it looks black and dark and I can't see where I'm going, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even though I don't understand what's happening to me and your justice doesn't make sense right now to me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And when we're able to rejoice in the Lord, it's in those moments God becomes our strength. Look at it, look at the verse again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. It's the same thing Nehemiah said. He said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And when you can rejoice and praise God, even in the difficulties, even in the hard times, God will lift you up. He will be your strength. And he says, he will cause me like a deer to mount up to the high places. Hallelujah. Oh my. Habakkuk, I said, means to wrestle. 
It also comes from the Hebrew, which means to embrace. And so you get the idea of two wrestlers embracing and fighting and hanging on. And you get this idea of the embracing or holding on. Listen, when you will embrace God, if you will hold on to Him, even in the midst of the challenging times, God will hold on to you. And the amazing thing is God is so strong. He is so powerful. He is so mighty. And so we say like the apostle Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because God, you got this. You got this. I can't work it out. I can't solve it. I can't fix it. But I will trust in the Lord because God, you got that. And he will take you to new spiritual heights in your life that you never dreamed Now that linchpin verse in Habakkuk is simply this, the righteous person will live by faith. It is quoted in Romans chapter one, Galatians chapter three, Habakkuk chapter 10. Now, I I don't know all, all that happens, these prophets under the anointing of the Holy Spirit begin to write as God gives them these words, they begin to speak out as God tells them what to speak. And I don't know that he totally understood the fullness of what it meant in the New Testament for the righteous to live by faith. But I will tell you, if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we will put our trust in him, he will be with us. He'll cleanse us by his blood. He'll give us a new life in Christ Jesus like we have never known or dreamed or imagined. And so faith... Faith is the substance of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for, hoped for. So we live by faith, trust in God, trust in his plan, trust in what God has done, trust in what God is doing now in your life, and trust your future into his hands, and he will bring you through. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.